0: It's okay to try and maybe fail or stumble across, you know, as you're trying to work to better your organization or your foundation. What is unacceptable, completely unacceptable, and we will hold organizations and foundations completely accountable for are those foundations and organizations that just refuse to try, that refuse to bring people of color to the table, to give them a voice, and to change the way the environmental movement looks is heard who's who has a voice and if organizations and foundations refuse to bring people of color or make it a priority to hire people of color that's a big problem
1: Welcome to the third season of the Hardwood Podcast, a program dedicated to sharing ideas, thoughts, and voices of respected professionals in environmental studies that care about diversity, equity, and inclusion. They all have lived and work experiences to add to their outlook and understanding of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we here on the Hardwood Podcast are committed to sharing the voices of these individuals as well as making space for others to ponder our dialogues. Greetings, everyone. Welcome back to another great episode of the Heartwood Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, Assistant Dean of Community and Inclusion at the School of the Environment, and Hip Hop forester, and a host of other cool things. But today is not about me, and these episodes are never about me. It's all about the outstanding guests uh, that, that we bring on their scholars and their leaders. And today we have both in one person on the podcast today. Uh, today I have uh, the fortune of talking with uh, Sir, Andres Jimenez, who is the executive director of Green 2.0. Now, before we get into it, um, uh, you know, um, the thing that I love about talking to Andres on this one is that these conversations are not just about diversity, equity, and inclusion, as we talk about in this field, but we are we talk about environment in general, how it's impacted employment, and we speak about it from so many different perspectives, whether it's scholarly, whether it's vocationally, so on and so forth. So we have a great individual that's on today, and I just want to greet him first by saying, how are you doing today, my friend?
0: Thomas, I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited to be here. I've been following your podcast. Great stuff. You you definitely bring in a lot of amazing guests and wonderful topics. And you know, it's it's great to listen. And yeah, just really excited to be here.
1: All right, thank you. Well, and Green 2.0 puts out great reports that lets people know what's going on <laughs> in the country and how people are doing. So I'm glad to have you on here too, because uh, I think that um, I, I know that we're going to hear definitely uh, some truth. But I really think that it's going to be powerful to really have conversations around the positive impact that you're having. But what we should also be looking for is those who care about diversity in these spaces. And so I thank you for your time, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes for some folks, the truth can be hard to hear, but someone needs to do it. And Green 2.0 is here. We are a national organization. We are working to let the country know exactly where the environmental movement stands when it comes to Green on, hiring people of color, putting people of color on boards? Are we doing better? Are we doing worse? Are organizations and foundations even taking that first step to being transparent? If these organizations and foundations are not taking that first step, I'll tell you what, Thomas, we're in some major trouble. And so that's what Green 2.0 is doing. We're looking to not only take a spotlight at those organizations trying to do better around these issues, But Mm -hmm. we're also making sure that those organizations and foundations that are not being transparent, not hiring people of color, not changing the foundation uh, Mm -hmm. and the structure of their organizations to give people of color a voice in this movement. We're making sure that we're letting everyone know who those organizations and who those foundations are, because it's important, it's vital that these foundations and organizations change their ways now for the future of the environmental movement. Wow. Okay. Look, Andres. Look, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, we already
1: have six questions that that I want to ask you. But there's a question that is not in here, but I really need to ask it right now because you, for me, you you broached it when you say structure. I had a question for you, if you don't mind, and you and I have already, you know, talked about this before. But I really need people here to hear. Why does the structure need to change in an organization? It's one thing to hire people, right? I've been hired to work on diversity work here, okay, at at the Yale School of the Environment. But you mentioned structure, okay? That's not always included when people are talking about making changes as it relates to DEI. Could you talk about that, please, if you don't mind? Structure.
0: Organizations need to change as well as foundations fundamentally. They need to change their mission, the way they're structured, and that means who are they hiring? What positions are they hiring for? You know, one of the missions of Green 2.0 is yes, bringing more people of color, hiring more people of color and putting more people of color on boards. But at the, at the very core of that is changing the foundation and structure of organizations. Organizations need to change from the ground up. They mm-hmm. need to change everything that they're doing to be able to be a more inclusive, welcoming place to people for people of color. If organizations and foundations are saying, oh yes, we're hiring people of color, but guess what? It's only for one specific type of position. We're failing. They're failing. Everyone's failing. We need to make sure that these organizations and foundations know that they there are so many amazing people of color that can be doing all sorts of amazing work for these organizations. Bring in scientists, bring comms, vice presidents make sure that people of color are not just there at your organization or foundation, but they are representing your organization and foundation. If people of color are hired, but still do not have a voice or a seat at the table, that's not right. And so when I talk about changing structurally or at the foundation, at the very core, we need Mm -hmm. to make sure that these organizations and foundations are able to bring in people of color for all sorts of positions, but make sure that they're given a voice. If they have no voice, we're starting from square one again. People of color deserve and have to have a voice in the environmental movement for it to succeed. And if we do not give them a voice, as we have historically, mm-hmm. we are doomed to fail. Mm. There's so much
1: in what you said. And I'm enthused listening to you, because I feel I feel your energy. And but then being from the South, being from Alabama, I I also completely agree, because what you described is what I feel that I've seen and basically still see, you know, we get hired, you know, like as a checkoff box. But when it comes to actually contributing to the organization, making the change, bringing the thing that you actually value, what I notice is that we can we, we we do it. It's just that it's not valued. Right. And so then they don't appreciate it or we get treated a certain way and then people don't stay in the organization. And I just appreciate you for being on the forefront now and pushing this and promoting it. But Andrea says, I listen to you too. I hear wisdom in your voice. Now, a lot of times that wisdom I feel comes from an experience, people doing things, been through something, talked about something, you know, like any of it. And and and, and and I'm not a nosy person, so I'm not going to get into your business. But (laughs) I would like to ask you though, if you could share some of like your journey, how you got to, to, uh, to, to, to where you are, you know, like how did you become the executive director, someone say the ED of Green 2.0? Because you've been, I know, in other places before here.
0: Absolutely, Thomas. And I think that one of the important things is always kind of looking at someone's past or background. I think you can tell a lot of what their trajectory is or where they want to take an organization. And as the executive director of Green 2.0, I think a lot of my my background, as you mentioned, my my experience is helping shape the new kind of mission and vision that we have for Green 2.0. Mm-hmm. I actually was born in Bogota, Colombia, in the capital. I moved to the United States, so I'm an immigrant. I'm a Colombian-American. I grew up in West Virginia, so definitely an appreciation for the outdoors, for climate, for, for the beauty that nature has to offer and, and, and the wonderful, uh, wonderfulness of the world that we have, the trees, the outdoors, parks, rivers, lakes, all of those wonderful things. Mm-hmm. Moved, to Ch- moved to Chicago. I'm a big Cubs fan, Thomas. I, I uh, oh. lived, in Chica- lived in Chicago for, for 10 years. Okay. Moved, back, <laughs> moved back east. Worked for several members of Congress. Howard Berman, Linda Sanchez, Zoloftgren. Thomas, I did three years on the Immigration Subcommittee. Moved on from there. Did four years for the city of New York, handling all of their national immigration as well as their federal housing. New York City, Thomas, as you very well know, has the largest public housing authority in the country. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time working with, with the committees in the House and the Senate working with HUD. After okay. that, I jumped over to Ocean Conservancy, a wonderful environmental organization dealing with all these wonderful ocean issues and, and fighting for, you know, to keep fish in the water and to keep you know, ocean acidification at bay. We then went to Citizens Climate Lobby, a carbon pricing organization working to try to keep uh, emissions out of our air, trying to keep our our earth as clean as possible. And then yeah, four months ago, I jumped as the executive director of Green 2.0. And as you mentioned, a lot of that background is now focused on my mission with Green 2.0. So one of the things that we're doing that's new Mm -hmm. is we are now looking at Congress and at the future administrations to talk about exactly where diversity in the environmental movement stands. It is critical and important that committees, members of Congress, future administrations know exactly what organizations are working on diversifying Mm -hmm. the environmental movement, which ones hold it as a priority and which ones refuse to work on it. And one of the ways we do this, as you mentioned early on is through our report, our yearly annual report card that takes the information from the top 40 foundations and environmental groups. And it looks at, are they being transparent and how are their hiring practices? Because that's a great data set for members of Congress, for other organizations to look at and, to, and say, are we doing better? So it's a yearly kind of reminder. It's a yearly uh, look into the environmental movement to say, have we learned from the past? Are we willing to do better? One of the things, Thomas, that I always say is it's okay to try and maybe fail or stumble across, you know, as you're trying to work to better your organization or your foundation. What is unacceptable, completely unacceptable, and we will hold organizations and foundations completely accountable for are those foundations and organizations that just refuse to try, that refuse to bring people of color to the table, to give them a voice, and to change the way the environmental movement looks is heard who's who has a voice and if organizations and foundations refuse to bring people of color or make it a priority to hire people of color that's a big problem for green 2.0 and we will use media social media we'll go to congress we'll talk to other groups we'll talk to foundations and say what is going on here because it has to change it's 2020 it's unacceptable it always has been but right now more than ever we need to make sure that organizations and foundations are at least starting working to put these these issues into their mission statements that they are working with the right foundations and partners to work on these issues and that the hiring practices completely change it is enough of sitting around the table with 40 organizations which i have experienced and looking around and being one of two people of color in an or in a, in a room where the conversation Thomas is what do people of color need? What do communities of colors want? And you look around the room and it is, yes, exactly. Yeah, we're looking around the room and we're, and, I'm, and I'm seeing absolutely no representation from these communities. And that is absolutely unacceptable. And that is the work that Green 2.0 is working to change. We're looking to change the table, the dynamics, the hiring practices, who sits at the board, making sure that there is representation from the staff assistant or associate all the way through vice president and president because our voices as a community need to be heard. Enough of other people making decisions for us, telling us what's best for our community and using us as a talking point. We deserve better. We deserve to be at that table, letting everyone know exactly what it is we need and what it is we've experienced. Hmm. I, I
1: know everyone listening is moved right now because I just got stuck. <laughs> like, okay, I wrote down so many notes first, I, but I wrote down something that was inspired just by listening to you. But then I'm going to go back to my notes. Conversation with our representation is stagnation because there's all of these conversations happening about. Our populations, but we're not there at the table. And then you giving us this beautiful history of coming from Colombia, okay, and then immigrating, you know, here to the U.S. So making this a richer place, and then going to West Virginia. But then you mentioned Ch- 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 Chicago, man. I'm like, oh, come on, man, Chicago. I love Chicago. I love Columbia, too. I love Chicago. Did
0: you say you're a Cubs fan? Both good food and yes, I'm a I'm a diehard Cubs fan. Big 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 fan. It, we. Now, I'm a Braves fan, not mad at it, respect the Cubs all day, family from Chicago. Thomas, not to get too into this, but you know why we like these teams. Growing up, WGN, the Braves, the Cubs, some of these teams were nationally broadcast. Uh, folks grew uh, a love for these teams because you could watch it no matter where you were in the country. so That's right. I mean, but but you have all this other, this,
1: this, okay, these other ones, because I'm, hold on, I just want to get it down, working on immigration challenges, you know, working in New York City, working in housing in particular too, like, it's, it's powerful, in Ocean Conservancy, you know, dealing with citizen, you know, working on, you know, climate issues, you know, working with citizen climate lobbyists, and then you know, trying to manage uh, people's understanding of carbon emissions, so on and so forth, before you get to green 2.0. And then by the time you get there, I, as I'm listening to you, I not only hear wisdom, I can hear strategy just in the way that you're talking. It's like you already have so much worked out. But I don't think people give, you know, you know, uh, individuals like yourself the credit from the lived experience, also edgy, feeding into the academic, you know, or the professional and then being able to, to bring it together. And what i like to ask you there is, I feel like you have described somewhat of your path, I mean, your your passion, you know, but could you just describe like maybe just your path to working on the issues around diversity within the environmental discipline? And do you feel that you've been successful? And if I hope, yes, I, I will say yes, because I've read work from Green to Pono, So the answer is yes. Hopefully you will not say yes. But then it, could you share maybe a challenge? So the question is, can you describe why you Work on diverse issues in the environmental world, and like, have you been successful? And then, you know, a challenge. That's it
0: Thomas. These issues have always been important to me. From obviously being an immigrant growing up in West Virginia, moving to a very diverse area in Chicago, then coming back to the Hill and looking around from day one, kind of who who had the power, who was being hired, who the senior staff was. We've gotten a little bit better just on the hill. We're not where we should be, but at that point, when I was on the hill and you looked around at a lot of chief of staffs or or folks in those positions of power, uh, they didn't Mm -hmm. tend to be people of color. And so obviously Mm -hmm. it's very notable. I got to run uh, with Representative Sanchez. I got to run um, an internship program. I really, that's where uh, the huge spark came. Worked at Ocean Conservancy with, with an internship program as well at Citizens Climate Lobby, we started a fellowship program there. Mm -hmm. It's all about not just talking, Thomas, it's also about walking the walk. And so recently, uh, about a month ago, Green 2.0 started a fellowship program as well, where we're taking young young students, young professionals, looking for that work experience, that mentorship, uh, and giving them an opportunity because so many times, and, and this, you know, this is from experience. So many times you walk into an interview and, and you show them your resume when you're super, when you're really young, and and folks look at it and they say, "Well, where's your experience?" And you say, "Well, I'm trying to get experience. How am I supposed to get in the door?" So we're doing two things here. We're giving young folks uh, the experience, the tools, the mentorship that they need. But critical, because I've always said when I've started a fellowship program, I've always said I would rather not start a fellowship program that does not pay. Because we need to make sure that every individual, every individual feels like they are working and they have worth, self-worth. And it's also, in in so many cases, impossible for people of color, young people of color to do these internships and fellowships when they don't get paid anything and they have to actually put money out of pocket Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to... um, to, to do these things to gain that experience and so starting a fellowship is important making sure that the that the fellows are, are paid uh you know appropriately these are all things that green 2.0 is doing to make sure that we're not just putting a spotlight or wagging a finger at, at groups we're actually walking the walk and making sure that we're in there that we're hiring people of color that we're giving people of color experience and so it's, that's that's critically important when you talked about what's a challenge, I was thinking through uh, the challenges that, that we that we face at Green 2.0. And one of the biggest challenges is when you come across organizations or foundations that refuse to be transparent. So you you will talk to them and you will say you will you will give them your case of why they need to be transparent and work with our partners in, in, in talking about how their hiring practices on, for, for staffers and for their board are going. And literally, Thomas, you get a shrug of the shoulders kind of like, oh, this is still a thing. We still kind of need to work on this. I thought this was over. Or wasn't this last year's problem? Didn't you ask last year? Why are you asking again? Right? And that is a struggle. That's that's a struggle when you have leaders in the environmental movement who Don't understand this isn't a one time thing, a time, a, you know, an issue of the moment thing. But this is. This is something that has to happen every day, every year, every moment, and it's not going away. Green 2.0 is here to make sure that it doesn't go away Mm -hmm. and reminds these leaders in these positions of why it's important and why they need to change and why, going back to the foundation, the structure of organizations, needs to change as well. One of the things that I focus on a lot, Green 2.0 focuses on a lot, is this idea that we need to make these changes so that young professionals, really passionate young students in college right now, even younger, look to the environmental field and say, you know what, that's a place I want to work that's an inclusive place where I can succeed and have a voice because right now I'm worried that young professionals, young students are looking at the environmental field and the makeup of who runs these organizations and foundations and says, maybe that's not for me. I'm so passionate about the environment and working on climate change, but maybe, you know, I don't see a lot of folks like myself in, in, in these organizations. So maybe my passion is better off used somewhere else. And that worries me, Thomas. And that is, One of the things that we uh, at Green 2.0 are constantly looking at and making sure that the changes that are made will benefit those young individuals so that they will be continue to be passionate about environmental issues, continue to not only be passionate, but want to enter the field and be part of the environmental movement. When you talk about success, I think that you, that was one of, one of the questions you asked, I think that we have seen a lot of success. I think that our report cards have shown that. Mm-hmm. Uh, between 2017 and 2019, re- reporting from NGOs uh, added an average of 12 people of color to their staff. So we see that as success. And we they also averaged two senior staffs of color um, in, those, uh, in those reports. And so these numbers are encouraging, but uh, we still have a lot to go in order uh, to grow um, the diversity in the movement. What we then see with foundations is that uh, it's a different story. While NGOs reached 90% of participation in our survey last year, Thomas, mm-hmm. uh, foundations remain stubbornly stagnant at 35% of reporting. And, and so there's lots of work to be done when it comes to foundations. Um, NGOs were seeing success, but overall, we can always be doing better. But foundations have have some way to go, and and we need to make sure to stay on top of them so that the foundations, the the folks distributing the money to a lot of these groups are are diversifying and understanding that there are amazing, wonderful local groups and state groups uh, run by people of color, for example, that need help financially and that they should be contributing to those groups as well. And not just your typical, uh, you know, your your big groups, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. how does that happen? Well, when you bring in staff, of, you know, when you bring in people of color to your staff who know which organizations these are, who are in these communities, the idea that money might be spread around a little bit more um, is is kind of where we're at.
1: Andres, you, man, like I said, I'm just. I'm being more and more inspired. Like I have my questions, but I have other stuff like, oh, I just want to ask you because this is, I feel like one of those young people that's probably watching you talking and just gets hungry. Like I want whatever he's, I want the job, whatever he's offering, you know, or something. (laughs) Because as I'm listening to you, I hear something from you that I don't hear from, in particular, the people who do this hiring. Mm -hmm. I'm listening to you and what I hear is I hear you thinking about both the individual, as well as the organization. Mm-hmm. Think about it take, at least from what I'm hearing, because your ideas are going to take the organization higher. But this the, one of the last things that you said was about is that we want to make sure that the changes that are made benefit the individual. So here I am listening, going, I think that that's one of the things that these organizations are missing, is that they're always thinking about the organization first or only. And they're not thinking about the individual, and so I'd like to ask you. But I like to ask it a different way. I want to ask about sharing mine. Okay, I, what I was going to ask you about is describing your philosophy and understanding, you know, of diversity, equity, um, and inclusion, and why it's important in making this change in environmental related fields. But I like to do it like this. Um, so I've been working in environmental fields for now, twenty four years. Okay, it's been it's, it's been twenty four years, and I've been working specifically in the DEI space to diversity, equity and inclusion space for 16 of those 24 years. And um, just to keep it simple for for, for me, and that's something for you know, like because I'm sure you can handle the the, the complexities, I have to keep it simple. When I think about what organizations are trying to do as relates to DEI, there's one simple word that comes to mind for me and it's simple but it seems to be the hardest thing to do. And that word is fairness or fair. It seems like these organizations struggle to create fairness or to establish fairness in the organization. And I think that they struggle with it because they weren't built to be fair in the first place. And that's not saying that it's right. I'm just saying it's like you estab- you, you being them. Not, not you, I'm sorry. You being them, you establish hierarchy. You create these organizations with the mission that you have. How do you expect for it to be fair and equal if you say that you want me in there? Well, you probably built it without me in mind. So that's my understanding of what DEI is, is about fairness. Like we're trying to establish and create fairness in these spaces. So I guess my question was, could you share maybe like your philosophy or understanding of what DEI is and why it's important to making a change in our related fields, the environmental related fields? Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a
0: great that's a great point. Like, Are we starting from a point of fairness in these organizations and foundations? No, we aren't. Do we need to get there absolutely and how do we do that again it goes back to those two words we talked about thomas changing at the foundation and at the structural level what does work culture mean to these organizations has anyone ever asked these foundations and organizations tell us about your work culture and what that means right Mm -hmm. i think that you would learn a lot about organizations and foundations if you were to ask them about work culture if you were to ask them what their staff, if you were to if you were to talk to their staff about work culture, I think you'd you'd really get a good understanding of what where these organizations are and where they want to move. It's mm-hmm. critical that organizations and foundations put in writing in a mission statement in a statement how how they want to change and how they're going to do it. Because if you don't put thoughts to paper, if you don't put Put it on on paper. If you don't put it on, use a pen to write these down. If you don't have the those mission statements, for example, then they're just thoughts, right? And they can be great thoughts, but until we say, until these companies, or these organizations, and foundations commit, commit to changing and how and say how they're going to do it, we're kind of at the same place. You and I can talk about change all we want, but unless we start talking about action items and how we're actually going to do it. -hmm. It's just a nice conversation, right? And so we at Green 2.0 find it absolutely necessary that organizations and foundations start with a mission statement, put down exactly what their goals are, how they're going to change, and make sure that these organizations and foundations are working towards something. Because if they're just saying, oh, diversity and inclusion is nice, yes, we should change our, our culture, we should change our foundation, we should change our mission but no one ever puts anything down and there's no action items. There's nothing to say. This is how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just talk, Thomas. And what we're saying at Green 2.0 is the time for just talking is done. And we will hold you accountable. One of the things I said to an organization the other day, Thomas, was I said to them, listen, you get funded by, by, by this foundation. Mm-hmm. You refuse to keep this these issues as a priority. I promise you, I'm going to go to this foundation and we're going to have a serious conversation. And I'm going to say to them, to the foundation, you sponsor, you give money to this group that does not care about these issues and does not care about bringing people of color to the table and giving them a voice. You are funding them. If you continue to fund them, I want you to understand they are 100% reflection of your values, your mission, and who you are as a foundation. And so when we look at that organization and we go to the media, we go on you know on social media or we're talking about these groups and their lack of understanding and caring and taking this seriously, we will include the names of the foundations who continue to fund them. So it is critically important that foundations and organizations all know and all understand that the time for talking is done and the time for action is now.
1: Time for action is now. I'd like to know then how um, how how does DEI show up in your work? You know, in addition to I already know the people that you're advocating for, the communities that you're uh, you know pushing you know for our advancement. You know, because I know I'm part of that. You know, but how how else does it you know does it in um in, in influence you? Does it influence like how you work with people, how you approach them? You know, anything like that? Just any other areas?
0: Yeah, absolutely, Thomas. And I think that one of the most one of the best tools is our network as people of color in the environmental movement. So if I know what Thomas is doing and I know what, you know, Barbara or someone else in in the foundations and organizations are doing, and we all continue to grow our network as individuals and as a community, Mm -hmm. we can only empower one another when we stop talking to one another, when we don't try to network and, and build a community within this environmental movement, we're not doing anyone in, the, in, we're not doing ourselves any any favors. We need to stay connected. We need to talk. We need to stay, continue to network, and we need to let each other know our experiences. One of the things I've found in my, in my time here, Thomas, is that a lot of lot of folks in the environmental movement where people of color feel very at times very alone and they feel like their struggles are are their struggles and they're not the struggles of others right Mm -hmm. but I think that when you start hearing oh I work at x foundation or y you know uh, organization and I'm having these issues folks are like oh me too or you're going through this too it is so helpful when we share, when we talk, when we let each other, when we all let each other know what's happening, uh, it can only make us stronger and better to be connected. And the more we feel apart, the more we feel like there isn't anyone else going through these struggles, the more likely it is that we are going to quit, give up, feel comp- feel like there is no, no way to change what needs to be changed and so mm-hmm. i guess what i'm talking about is networking and staying connected we have to stay connected we have to stay we have to continue to network and we need to share our experiences and let others know that they are not having these struggles alone that there are others struggling and together we as a as a community can can lift lift each other up and help make the entire movement a much better more open, diverse place? Mm. See,
1: I don't think that the people who run these agencies or foundations or orgs really get that. And I think, um, and, and, I, and I don't think it's because it's not being communicated. I think it's because they aren't living it. You know, and, and but I'll explain it. You know, it's like a, the thing that I find when I speak to leaders who want to do this, uh, who want to do DEI work, right? Then I ask them, what have they done? And then if they can't answer me, like they can't tell me anything that they've done, then I go, okay, are you not able to answer me because you haven't done anything? Or are you a- not able to answer me because you don't know how to articulate it? And the truth is what I've found is that, is that the truth is, Andres, and I'm, I'm saying, it, is that they haven't done anything. It's like they, they 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 can't walk me through something that they've done. Like, who have you helped? What community do you work with? Uh, what intention is behind you know your your work? Every so often I meet people and I ask them what they've done, they just don't know how to articulate it. They're like, Well, <laughs> I don't really think I have done anything, you know. Um, but as a professor, I teach about this scholar in my class. And I know years ago we talked about that, you know, then I'm like, wait a minute, why do you teach about this? And it could be it'll be a scholar, you know, who is also a person of color. And then I'm like, okay, you're doing something. So my next question to you then is because I know you have nothing but insight <laughs> and foresight, I'm sure, too, actually. Um, how can DEI actually help improve our disciplines? And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to put you or anything like on, on out on front street. I'm just going to be, be real. I'm asking that question because I feel people uh, are very simple minded. And there's a big IQ drop that happens when diversity comes up for certain populations or for some people. And I think that they and they really need someone to walk them through it, like what to do. So, so I'm just saying, sharing it. I'm not, so so that's why I'm actually asking that. So that's not me trying to say you haven't addressed it before. Nothing. I'm putting it out there, like I'm asking this for people who are listening to hear this, so you can actually take
0: it and apply it. Thomas, would you rather be in a room with uh, one with five people that are all the same experience, background, race, gender, everything, or would you have rather be in a room with Tons of different people who have lived through different experiences, different backgrounds, different sexual orientation, what have you, and can bring that to the table, right? Mm -hmm. What a diverse group of people, Mm -hmm. all looking and working toward and having the passion, in this instance, to change the environmental movement, to work on climate change. We need these backgrounds, these amazing perspectives these amazing traditions and cultures that different people are coming back to give different insight. We don't need the same, one of the same person completely answering the same way every time. That's not helpful. We want different people from all sorts of the world, the country, you know, everything, all sorts of different backgrounds and experiences to bring in that, oh, I never even thought about that kind of perspective because that is how we will be successful. That is how we will move the ball faster in helping to change some of the issues that are that are around climate change and that are so troubling when it comes to our environment and what we've done with it. It's mm-hmm. those different perspectives that will, be, will bring the next generation, this generation of different ideas to help solve these problems. It's not the one voice, one background that's going to be the biggest difference maker. The biggest difference maker, Thomas, is when we are bringing diverse backgrounds and diversity, period, to the table. We need those diverse voices to accelerate change. Diverse voices accelerate change.
1: Accelerate change. Hold on, I just have to put that down. Accelerate <laughs> change. I'm, I'm getting a lot of great tips here. People who are listening, I hope that you will uh, do the exact same thing. Uh, because that's why we also speak to to amazing scholars, so that we can get action steps and also get ideas of things to to, to do. So I want to thank you for for sharing that. And now I really just have one last question. I cannot believe, man, really, we I can't believe we've gotten like this this far. Okay. <laughs> uh, and really, it's not a question. It's more like a statement. I guess. Um, I know most of my questions have been around DEI. And it's been around the environmental field, but there's also been some about you and then ideas that you have for other leaders and things that they can do. So the last question is anything else that you would like to share? Obviously, I'll admit I didn't ask you everything that there is to know. So that I didn't cover, you know, I apologize for leaving something out. So either share something because I didn't ask it or just make a comment maybe about a current social or environmental uh, you know, issue that is going on and how we can work better together to address it. So that was it. Anything you'd like to share or current issue
0: that's going on and how we can address it. One of the one of the most important things is is actually making sure that folks know that these conversations are extremely important, but they're not just conversations. There is fact and data behind what we're talking about. And so I encourage folks to go to Green 2.0's website I encourage folks to download the reports. There's, we have lots of reports really focusing on these issues. Our new report card is gonna come out and our 2020 report card is gonna come out in December. I think folks are gonna see a lot of interesting uh, changes in the report card. And I mean changes as far as who's been transparent. And to be quite honest, Thomas, I think that the COVID, the pandemic had, had a lot to do with um, kind of where organizations and foundations were able to prioritize staff time to uh, around these issues. And I, you know, we're gonna have a great summary and a great report, and we're gonna see, I think that this year probably wasn't the best year uh, when it came to organizations and foundations prioritizing these issues, which is shocking to me. Uh, If I were in these organizations and foundations, I would make sure that I was filling out and being transparent. I don't understand how that helps a foundation or organization and most importantly, how does it help the culture of the organization and foundation when you as a company or you as an, or you as an organization or foundation are saying, hey, you know what, well, we'll fill it out next year or we filled it out the year before. Organizations and foundations need to come to a point Thomas where it's just common, it, it is high on the list. Did we Did we fill this out? Are we being transparent? Are we letting, the environmental movement know where we are when it comes to our hiring practices, where we are with with adding people of color to boards, this shouldn't be a secondary thought. It needs to be a top thought. And until it is, we, we we're in some trouble. And so our, our goal here, Thomas, is to really educate organizations, foundations, the public, and really let folks know that that there are folks lots of folks just like you and, and lots of our and all of our listeners your listeners. That care about these issues and and for all of us it's a high priority, we need to make sure that for the leaders of these organizations and foundations who are not being transparent that changes and becomes a prior, top priority. Okay. okay. I,
1: I, I feel like I've actually eaten calories, and I mean in a positive yes. way, like I feel like I just had a meal. I'm sitting up here, man, but I burn calories writing and typing, <laughs> trying to get on all of these great notes uh, um, that you gave me. Um, I, I got to be honest with you, I mean, I feel more energized and motivated even now after talking to you. And this is coming post-election. This is coming in the midst of everything you know that is happening right now in our country. But I think when you talk to people who are uh, well—not just intention, but well-knowing, who are knowledgeable—which I think that you are—you can get a lot more, you know, from them. So I, I want
0: to thank you. Thomas, sharing. it's all about—it's all about hope. Uh, we have to have hope if we want to move forward in anything we do, in any issue area, and in, in our lives. It's mm-hmm. critical that we do not lose hope, that we have hope, and that we use that hope in what motivates us day in and day out. And so. I have lots of hope for environmental movement or environmental future, for the future of all the young, passionate uh, students and, and folks out there who wanna enter this this issue area. It's all about hope and I've got lots of it. And I, I have lots of motivation to try to make sure that organizations and foundations and uh, change to make, make it so much more inclusive, make the table more inclusive, Make, make the voice of the environmental movement more diverse
1: than ever. The Hardwood Podcast is a production of the Yale School of the Environment in New Haven, Connecticut. Our producer is Nadine Damian, a joint degree master student between the Yale School of the Environment and the Yale Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, pursuing degrees in environmental management and international and development economics. I am Dr. Thomas Rashad Easley, and we'll see you next time.